When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking City, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm James Robson, Manchester City editor. With me is Chris Slater and Simon Bukowski. Today, or this week rather, we're going to be talking about transfers. I know, it's all over, but it's still all anyone cares about, isn't it? Um, do you feel a bit like the morning after the night before, Chris? Um, it was a little bit bizarre, wasn't it? I think most City fans were sat set up with Sky Sports News on hoping for a sort of Rubinho moment with um, Sanchez and ended up just um, watching Boney have his medical at Swansea and um, <clears throat> wondering whether we could shift Mangala so it was uh, yeah it was a it was a strange old day but I think um, I don't know I think City fans will still be fairly happy with the squad they've got it would have been amazing if City could have got Sanchez from a fan's point of view um, I've also heard the view that they may have actually needed Johnny Evans more than they needed Sanchez, which is mm. an interesting theory. And when you scratch beneath the surface of the squad, that might that could be true. But um, yeah, I suppose a little bit disappointing. I suppose the day after. Um, you see, that amazes me because, and it, this, it, but it's in keeping with a lot of the reaction we've had from City fans after the deadline went. City spent what over two hundred million pounds this summer. Signed some of the most exciting players you would say in Europe, wouldn't you? Probably. I think they have to say so. Yeah. Added to what is already a pretty amazing squad, and yet somehow at the end of it there was this feeling of, oh, oh that was a bit of a disappointment. They always say it's the hope that kills you, though, isn't it? It's like you know, I think a lot of City fans will have had the you know once Sanchez was being linked, they'll have started to envisage this this three-pronged forward line of Sanchez, Aguero, Jesus, you know, and, and all those players you've just mentioned behind them as well. Um, so then, obviously, when it didn't come off, they might have been a, feeling a little bit deflated. But like you said, I think I think you're right. I think once we, we settle back down into the games and, you know, so we see the starting lineups and the benches, I don't think people can be disappointed at all with the business they've done. The real killer, Si, is that we all love strikers, don't we? And that's the problem. And when it's coming down to the last, last day, the last few hours, and you're going to sign not just any striker, one of the best strikers in the world, and that doesn't happen, how can you not feel a little bit disappointed? Yeah, and I think we worked out City hadn't signed anyone in August. Yeah. So, you know, Bernardo and everyone, as great as they are, they're, they're old news in the 24-hour the cycle that, that we're in, and we confidently predicted last week, I think, that Sanchez would join City. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sorry about that. But, <laughs> you know, it was expected to go through, and it... Kind and of. to be fair, City thought it was going to go through, and so did Arsenal. Yes, so it wasn't yeah. And so did Sanchez. <laughs> and so did Sanchez, yeah. <laughs> so we weren't alone with that. Yeah, um, you kind of get the the novel experience of being let down by Arsenal, which it's just one of those things you have to move on. Um, Sanchez would have been a great addition, but he's not cut. It's kind of like, it's a bit like a Guardiola game, really. You sort of, you dominate possession, you have loads of chances... <laughs> You one nil up, and then someone pops up in the last minute and equalises with the the first shot on target, and you're left thinking, "Oh, right, okay." Um, and it's how you move on from that, and whether 
not having backup in defence or Sanchez is going to hurt the title chances. Obviously not as strong with them, but they've still got a very, very good squad. As as most people will know, what, what actually happened was that Arsenal did accept City's £55 million offer that was to rise to £60 million in add-ons, but it was dependent on them bringing in a replacement, and they thought that replacement was Thomas Lamar. Um, I actually tweeted midway through the day, I think, on last Thursday, um, that if City are actually relying on Arsenal being able to sign someone, then they really are in trouble here. I was actually joking when I said it, but it turned out to be spot on, didn't it? You know, many a true word said in, said in jest. When City found that out, that it was a case of, yeah, yeah, you can have him, you can have him, but we've just got to get this deal over the line. You can just imagine their hearts sinking. It would have probably been straight on the phone to Sanchez that, no, mate, it's not happening. <laughs> well, I don't think it's been particularly well handled by either club, particularly Arsenal, but I don't, it does seem a little strange that City sort of left it so late to make their move. I know um, Arsenal have been insisting all summer that he's not for sale, which you know, then seems a bit bizarre for them to accept mm. a bid at lunchtime on deadline day. So, And City also thought all summer that he would be for sale. That's the other thing about this, you know. So I, I do understand they say they left it so late because it wasn't until this week that Arsenal finally relented. But City have spent all summer thinking they could get him. So you make that initial £50 million bid two weeks ago, you've got more of a chance of getting your ducks in a row, haven't you? Mm. It seems odd as well because he seems to have been one of their main targets and they've done so well this summer in getting all of their other main targets. From what we gather, the players they've signed were their number one targets in those positions. And... All of those, Bernardo, Kyle Walker, Mendy, they went and got them fairly early, really. Got those up, paid, you know, what some might consider a little bit over the odds for them. Probably not now, after the name yeah, we'll or anything. come back to that. If you think, but, um, if Lamar's 92 million and Bernardo Silva was 44, all of us, he, he's, he would have been twice as much, wouldn't he? But maybe they could have got Walker or Mendy for 40 million or 45 if they left it a few more weeks. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you may as well just pay that little bit extra, get them in the squad, get them settled in. I think that probably will pay dividends. So it does seem that strangely didn't adopt that position with Sanchez, didn't go in earlier with a you know a good substantial bid and try and try and get it over the line early doors. The Mangala one was particularly interesting to me. I, I don't think he's ever been such a powerful figure in almost European football, wasn't he? He seemed to hold all the aces for everything. It was a case of Johnny Evans' future being reliant on it, um, Sacco's future being reliant on it. Uh, I don't quite understand this whole idea from City that he had to go before they replaced him. I thought, in their heads, he's been replaced for a good 12 months plus, hasn't he? You think, is it better to have him in the squad rather than say, well, look, forget, he's not going to work out, we'll see if we can get a move for him in January and get in the player you actually want, as in Johnny Evans? It's a bit odd, Mangala. I mean, the first time he's been so powerful, it's not the first time he's been the bane of City. But, he, I mean... City have been saying all summer that he's got no future there. I mean, I think he gave an interview where he said he'd love to learn more in a few weeks under Pep than anyone else in a few years and was looking forward to going back. And then the next day they said, no, you ain't coming back, mate. And that's been the stance, but he's just hung around. He's still there. And now it looks like he's fourth choice centre-back with a back three. Yeah, that back four now... <clears throat> I, I take your point, what you were saying before, Chris, about maybe Johnny Evans was more important than, than Sanchez because when you don't get Sanchez, you still look at that City forward line and think, well, actually, why did they need Sanchez in the first place? They've got Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero. When you look at the rear guard, you, you're thinking, 
Right, against Bournemouth, it was a, the, the central defensive partnership was company, who with the best will in the world, I don't think anybody would be surprised if he didn't see out uh, the season without an injury. Otamendi, who is only slightly higher in the rankings among City fans, I think, than Mangala. And Johnny Evans, who was the most expensive defender in English football, uh, can't even get into that back four, you think. Stones. Sorry, Stones rather, not Johnny Evans. He didn't come. Um, you think that Johnny Evans would have been uh, crucial. And I know, Well, I know a lot of fans weren't madly keen on the Johnny Evans transfer. I don't know how much the, his United past had to do with that or, or what, but you, I think Def- City definitely did need a fourth centre-back and it seems strange that they sort of put the power in Mangala's hands really by making that clear because then he suddenly realised he was in a position of power and didn't just have to go to wherever you know the highest offer was he suddenly realised he, he had a bit of bargaining he realised if he stuck around he's actually got a chance of playing yeah and, and I'm showed ge- the hand I'm, didn't they there <laughs> and I'm guessing his deal at City is a lot better than he would have got at Crystal Palace yeah. West Brom or even Inter and he probably thought the idea of you know playing a few games as backup centre-back and maybe ending with a few medals and a good hefty pay pack at the end of the year wasn't the worst deal for him but if they'd have just brought Evans in on deadline day and then said to him right you know your choice is find a new club or, or stay and you won't be getting near the team then obviously I think that might have changed the dynamics a little bit but um, yeah it does it does seem a strange one and I think I think you're right I think one Vincent Company injury could throw a huge spanner into the works you know especially with this idea of playing three centre-backs I think when you're playing two you've obviously got two backups but if you're going to play three then that does basically your first choice three centre backs are already in the team. That leaves you with Mangala and Tosin had to be as your backups, which I'm guessing wasn't Pep's ideal situation at the start of the summer. No, you wonder about Tosin here, don't you? He is part of that squad now. He is one of the, the options who could come in. I think at the start of the summer most City fans would have said he should be one of those. But when Guardiola spends his entire summer trying to sign at first a marquee centre back in Van Dyke and then deciding he wants cover, so he goes for Johnny Evans. What does that say to Tosin? Well, he wasn't meant to be here now. That's the thing. He was meant to go out on loan. The idea was that he'd get regular first-team football, either top end of the Championship, bottom end of the Premier League, and he'd have a, a fruitful season on loan. But because of the situation, he's got to stay. Part of youth football and bringing players through to the first team is all about opportunity. The opportunity needs to be there, and maybe an injury to a first-team player is going to be the chance that sees Tosin step up and take it. You don't know, but you have to feel that he'll get games now, as will Mangali. We're talking three games a week from now on until Christmas, really, so they've both got to start playing. As we were saying, when you look at the City's transfer dealings this summer, there's a lot to be pleased about, though. When I was looking at the list of players who who they'd actually managed to, to get out of the club... Notwithstanding the fact that they had to take a, a major loss on Nasri and a major loss on uh, Joe Hart, or they're going to take a major loss on Joe Hart, aren't they, when that eventually goes through? They've still made, I think it's over £90 million on players going out, and that is significant money, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. They've, I think that was definitely a change. I mean, it's Thomas Lamar. Mm. But. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a changing strategy this year. I think, you know, I think maybe Nasri was the exception. I think there's some reports that they actually waived a fee on that one. I don't remember you two. Might know more on that, but the um, everyone else, he seemed to have, for instance, Mangal and other people, he's been saying we'd rather keep them here and get or get some market value for them rather than just give them away and subsidise wages, you know. Because, um, uh, you know, there's been some ridiculous situations in the past where players have been playing for other clubs having most of their wages paid by City, which is, um, which is just 
which is just daft, really. But yeah, yeah I think you're right. For, for instance, getting 10 million for Sancho, you know, I know he's a highly rated prospect, but you know, that seems a remarkable deal for a guy that in a few months' time probably could have gone on a free to someone else in England. They've done really well there. I think with Sancho, <clears throat> Sai, you will have seen a lot more of him than, than I have. I think the we've got to reserve judgment on that one because if you think last summer uh, Dembele went from Ron to to Dortmund and this summer he's a 130 million pound player 10 million for Sancho even with City having a certain uh, uh, sell on sell on clause in the deal they, they, uh, that took him to Dortmund that 10 million might not look so great in a year's time and the way football is going now it can move so quickly can't it as you say who here had really knew anything about Dembele this time 12 months ago and this this year he's replaced uh, Neymar at Barcelona hasn't he and he's the second most expensive player in history ironically I think Mendy was the same I think Monaco bought him the season before yeah, for yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> a much less substantial fee <laughs> than the 52 that City paid for him this year so yeah, yeah maybe you're right but City do get a sell on though for Sancho yes. yeah. so um, not sure what that could figure be. is though <laughs> no substantial was sold um, but I think 10 million was a good way of sort of City getting some kind of a win from the deal because with him going to a European club, um, they weren't due as much money as if he'd gone to a rival. But they both stopped him going to United or Arsenal and brought in sort of eight, ten million more than they might have done. I know City fans won't particularly appreciate this, but I'm excited by the, the Sancho situation. I'm excited yeah. to see what he can do. Absolutely. If, I, was, I was thinking back at, about this. Um, if you think at the start of last season, how old was... Kylian Mbappe and how old was Dembele? That sort of age, weren't they? 17, 18 years old. And in the space of 12 months, those are the second and third most expensive player in the history of football. And it's only the crazy money that saw Neymar go, and because no one expects him to go anywhere this summer, those two would have been the two most expensive players in history. Well, 12 shows 12 months is a long, long time, doesn't it? In 12 months' time, Sancho might well be that sort of price. And if he is that sort of price... He's, that's good news for England in the World Cup, isn't it? Well, it's a great move for Sancho, I think, and probably for maybe for English football as well. One of the criticisms English players get all the time is that you know they're not cultured in the you know in the culture of yeah. European football, so they don't play enough of it. But I think it's disappointing for City fans just because he really was the, the shining light of that mm. academy, and there was, there was so there is so much hype around him, and City fans are crying out for a you know somebody to break through into the first team. And you thought if anyone was going to do it, it might be him. I know Phil Foden's looked good as well. And given the fact he's a local lad, I'm sure everyone will be rooting for him now. But you really thought with Sancho that you may, maybe in a year's time you could really see him in, in the City team. So I'm sure everyone at the the fans, have, as everyone at the club, will be disappointed that it's not worked out. But um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see whether he, he may even get th- thrown straight into the Dortmund first team. I mean, well, he got the number seven shirt, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So you don't just hand that out. Unless, I mean, admittedly... Valley's shirt. Well, there you go. Admittedly... In a world where Wilfred Bonney takes the number two, <laughs> numbers are clearly meaningless, aren't they? <laughs> clearly. But full of meaning, that one. That it's it's the second time at Swansea. That's what it was all about, was Yeah, it? yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Makes right. sense. Take all that back. <laughs> <laughs> Why would a striker want the number nine? Uh, uh, have you seen his Instagram account? There's a lot of whys when it comes to Wilfred Bonney. Uh, not but, our shirts, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when they give him a shirt like a number seven, that shows how highly they think of him, doesn't it? And I suppose if he was wavering, having been at a club like City where 
look, there is this thing that constantly goes around, do young players get a chance? I suppose when a club like Dortmund comes up to you and says, you're wearing our number seven shirt, you joined us, you're wearing number seven, that dispels any doubts you might have had, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, and it's a proven pathway of getting first-team football far more than English academies. Um, so, good luck to him. I think part of the criticism towards him, some of it obviously... Um, relevant because he didn't turn up for training and that was very unprofessional and there's no <laughs> defending that but I think there was some criticism that he'd just stay in London to be with his mates um, whereas going to Dortmund shows that he actually wants to break into the first team. In the interest of balance what I would say is that while you could look at the cases of Mbappe and Dembele and say that could be the path this player could be going down and City might have lost a player of that sort of quality. In the same summer, you've seen someone else who was spoken of perhaps even more highly than Sancho in Ravel Morrison turning up in Mexico from a player who was supposed to be the... He was going to be the next superstar of United, then the next superstar of West Ham, then the next superstar of Lazio, was it? Now he's off to Mexico. So... It doesn't always work out that way, does it? No. It's got echoes of the Daniel Sturridge deal a little bit, I think, as well. Um, and obviously he's gone on to be a really good Premier League player. He's not quite fulfilled the potential that when he left City for Chelsea, people thought he might have. So there's no guarantee that Sancho is going to become a world beater, you know. But, um, you know, if you, you want him to be at your club to find out rather than <laughs> rather than uh, watching on from afar, don't you? But, uh, that, you know, that's just the way it went, wasn't it? And City will have to live with that now. I think they've got the best the best out of the deal they could, like Simon said. Well, the transfer window's been closed for less than a week, so it seems like a really good time to start talking about the next transfer window uh, in January. Um, <laughs> There's no football to come, <laughs> so may as well do no, transfers. No, no. It's an international break. <laughs> what else can we talk about? Um, I wonder, because the, the, the thing is, isn't it, uh, and you're writing about this today, Si, that in particular Sanchez and Johnny Evans, the two players they want to sign the last day of the window they can sign them both and they could both play in the Champions League if they signed them in January couldn't they so that keeps keeps it open or at least keeps, gives us something to write about for the next four months or so well yeah very much I mean Guardiola has deprived us of the sort of the usual annual which foreign player is going to miss out the Champions League squad because the City squad in the past has been so bloated we've had Yaya Torre missing out Negredo Jovetic all sort of the the unlucky ones Iheanacho um, I think, possibly. But now it's 21-man squad, 16 foreigners, so there's space to add in another one. Um, they've got five locally trained players as well, whereas normally you've been talking about them having to sort of hang on to players just for, for quotas. Um, that was mentioned with Patrick Roberts, he's been allowed to go. So it's a very different situation than we're used to looking at. So, But they have got scope to add for the knockout stages and Sanchez, were they to make a bid in January and get him, would be eligible to play. We're told that City's preference, of course it's their preference, is to wait until he's a free agent now. That would be anyone's preference, wouldn't it? I think the fact they were going to break their, their club record to sign him 12 months before he's free shows how much they wanted him, though. So you can't rule out January. I suppose the, the issue for City is that in January he can start talking to foreign clubs. Yeah. So now... There was a there was a suggestion this summer that he was pricing himself out of a move to to Bayern and to PSG because he really wanted to go to City. Basically, were paying the most money per week. They were going to pay the best part of four hundred grand a week. 
Come January, all of a sudden those foreign clubs who are looking at him as a free agent, they can offer that sort of money, can't they? So that's so City might have to go in in earlier. They might well have to go in January. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that isn't it? You'd, you'd think a lot of it would depend on the, how the two clubs are doing as well, you know. Um, well, we know how Arsenal are doing. <laughs> well, if they're, if they're in any kind of contention, then you know, then it would just be suicide to sell, you know, to sell them even f- for to, to recoup any money, wouldn't it? You know, if they think that it's going to cost them. Arsenal doing something suicidal. <laughs> You're right. But, that'll never happen. But I can't remember the figure. But every Premier League place is worth, even if it's fifth, between fifth and sixth, or you know, mm. obviously we know that for the fifth and fourth. Conundrums worth a lot, but even if they would, they managed to get to the depths of um, United in 2014 or Chelsea a couple of years ago, and we're sort of right down in mid-table, you know, a few places could make a big difference. And if if City were up there, they might not want to just you know hand them the title on a plate. Essentially, I for um, one think Arsenal are going to be pushing him out the door in January. I think they will be absolutely kicking themselves that they've missed out on 60 million quid. I think they'll. Come January, reality is really going to bite after they've had another four or five months of paying him his wages every week and thinking we're going to lose this guy for nothing. Unless they're top of the league or you know, in real, have a real chance of winning the title, I think they're, they're just trying to get him out for whatever they can get. How much would you pay for him in January? I suppose that depends on where City are, doesn't it, really? You know, City are... If they, if they look like they've desperately missed a striker, then you would think, get him, get him in. But then, by the same measure, if they're absolutely romping away with the title, they're they're in the they're through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. They might well say, you know what, we can hold on here. I, I think their big issue is if one of these, say, Bayern come back in in January, it'd be classic Bayern, wouldn't it? Get him for nothing. Their thing, we can get him for nothing. All right, we'll give you the best part, four hundred grand a week, you know, with the signing on fee or whatever. I think that's what might might push City to to move. But I think they could hold Arsenal over a barrel come January. Yeah, I think they should be in a stronger position and certainly after the way this window has gone and the way it's unfolded with City and Arsenal, I think if they want him in January, they just, you know, first day of the window, they need Benjamin Mendy outside the Emirates with a giant cheque saying how much they're willing to offer because then they can put all this... Yeah, he would, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or uh, Walker and Stones in the car. You know, they can they can put as much pressure on Arsenal as as they want, really, if they want him. Providing it, the football goes that way. An interesting factor in all this is how Sanchez responds. Now he's a he's the type of guy who gives absolutely everything. So I don't think there's much chance of him just phoning it in for uh, for this season. But he also he can't take that risk, can he? It, you know, maybe he can't help himself because he's so dejected, but he can't take that risk because if Guardiola sees this as a guy who's who's pretty much packed it in, he's not going to go back in for him, is he? But that's certainly what it looked like at Liverpool, didn't it? You know, like, And I think that might have been one of the reasons that Arsenal sort of softened the position mm. a bit. They definitely did with Oxlade-Chamberlain, and I think maybe they did the same, because the, the pair of them were sort of moping around as Liverpool stormed up the other end and scored, and I think they thought, we're better to just get the money here and get mm. these guys out if they don't want to be here. It's a dangerous so, tactic to do that for a full season, though, isn't well, it? Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it is a difficult one. But then if he's... If he's their top scorer and he's the only one keeping them in contention, does he then make him reel himself <laughs> out of a move? You know, what we're saying here is we've got no idea what's going <laughs> what's going to make them sell or not, have we? I really? think he's a professional footballer. Surely he's got he's going to have to give his all, like you say. I don't think he can down tools, and you know, I don't think Arsenal fans or players, and even like you say, people at City wouldn't wouldn't take kindly to that, would they? You know, he's got that trait in him. Why would you want to bring him in? So, I think he's going to try and be Arsenal's talisman for. 
either six months or this year. But you know, I, I just don't know what the relationships are now going to be like between him and him, him and well, him and Wenger for a start, him and his teammates, but him and the Arsenal fans in particular. <laughs> well, he's a he's a professional footballer, as you say. He's not a professional actor. He is dreadful <laughs> at hiding what he's thinking on his face, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'd play that guy at poker, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You'd, you'd fleece him with that four hundred grand a week in no time. Yes, but he would pick that up for being very good at football, Who so he'd be all right. But you'd be quizzy. <laughs> Well, there's those stories about him uh, walking into the chilly dressing room for that World Cup qualifier, <laughs> announcing he was going to City, and they were all breaking into rapturous applause. Which yeah. uh, I don't know what happened later on when he came back in and told them it was off. <laughs> but um, he's had a mare there, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, but obviously yeah, Arsenal fans are reading this, and I, I don't know what they're going to be making of it. You know, he just seems so so desperate to leave. Probably the most of of, of any of those sort of um, want away stars, like Coutinho, Van Dijk. He seems particularly. He seems to be the one that particularly wanted to get out of there, doesn't he? So, I was, um, I'd heard some Arsenal players have been talking about him before that Liverpool game, and they've been asked about this is all off the record stuff. They've been asked about it, and uh, they described him as being as good as gold. So there was no issue with him whatsoever. That was before the Liverpool game. I would like to have heard what they said after that Liverpool game. Mm. But there's also mentioned last week, like Lionel Messi, as it stands, will be available on a free next year. Who needs Sanchez? Next summer. So if Sanchez still wants a move to City, the best thing for him is to tear up the Premier League to show exactly what he can do. If he outscores Aguero and Jesus, then it's pretty good uh, standing for him. And also PSG might get relegated, and if they do, they don't have to pay the Mbappe money, and he's going to be available again, so... You've just made a situation there where Messi to City is the more realistic option. We've got a brilliant craft beer offer for Manchester as Red listeners. We've teamed up with Beer52.com who have a great new way to discover the best small breweries from home and abroad. By joining their beer club, you can get an expert selected case of different styles delivered to your home every month. And just for listeners of Manchester is Red, we've managed to secure an amazing deal. A case of eight mystery beers for free. It's normally £24 a case, but all you'll need to pay this time is £5.95 for postage. Just use the code MANU, that's M-A-N-U, all one word, at beer52.com to get stuck in. Uh, Alright, we've been talking about Liverpool briefly, but that, that is the game this weekend. That's something to, to look forward to. Chris... The last time these two sides played at the Etihad, I seem to remember Guardiola coming in and saying that was the proudest he'd ever been as a manager, the best performance he'd ever seen from his teams. But I think he he said that. I think he said said that after Everton this season as well. He has a lot of proud days. (laughs) Um, Uh, Were you as proud after that that one all draw with Liverpool? When if. Yeah, who was it? Who, who was it? You missed Lalana. Two all was it? Two all was it? Yeah, Lalana missed yeah, from the goal absolute line. Absolute sitter yeah. in the final few yeah. minutes. Yeah. Mm. Were you proud? Were you proud? Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, he, he is. He does make some strange pronouncements sometimes, doesn't he, Pep? He does seem to value that character. Like I think, he, like Sai said, he made a similar comment after the Everton game the other day. But um, I think rather than digging in and showing a bit of character, I think City want want to see a bit of a statement on. Uh, on Saturday, I think maybe it's the time you know we we see them really rip it up against one of the one of the one of the top four. There's so many times I've seen they look capable of doing it and ended up getting pegged back and drawing games that they, you know on the balance of play they should have won. 
Tottenham at home is a great example, I think, where they, they were 2-0 up and let them claw it back to 2-2. Um, United at home, it was 0-0, where they, you know, they had chances and disallowed goals. and So I think really, you know, I know it's always easy to overhype again this early in the season, but I think def- a defeat would be very demoralising. Are you calling this make or break? <laughs> I, I never said that, James. You used that <laughs> phrase. Um, it's, it's, it's their biggest game this season by far, and poss- possibly one of the... You know, probably one of the biggest that we've had so far. I know it's very early doors, but Liverpool certainly looked good last week, didn't they? And if they followed it up with a win at, at the Etihad on Saturday, then you know we'd certainly be changing our view on them. Maybe looking at them as title challengers. But City could get the win. Then you're starting to. I know everyone's looking at United at the moment, saying they look the most likely. But then you'd, you'd swing back and think, wow, well, you know, just those two drop points at Everton, City looking good. So. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a super Saturday. <laughs> Liverpool are one of those teams that I look at and I put Arsenal in the same category where you think they're the ideal opponents for a Guardiola team, for a City team. You know they're going to go for it. So there's going to be a lot of open spaces and there's a chance to really get at them. Unfortunately, I also think the same works conversely. I think City are the ideal team for them. It's like you know, last season, I think there were two games in the second half of the season where if City had beaten Arsenal in both those games... Um, Wenger would have probably been out those planes would have worked but they ended up getting the draw at the, at the Emirates didn't they and then losing the Cup semi-final and it, that's because City weren't the sort of team to, to crush them in a way that uh, a Chelsea team might do or you know, a more ruthless team might do it so that's why, it's why these games are the games that like you say it is a Super Saturday they are the sort of games that you look at it and think that's going to be potentially one of the games of the season but calling which way it would go is anyone's guess isn't it well, it's a meeting of two very good coaches and Liverpool did very well against a talented Hoffenheim team that were playing three at the back and you know, Klopp really did his homework there. Klopp had a pretty good record with Dortmund against Guardiola's Bayern. They had quite a few uh, sparring contests and shared silverware, so it's going to be Guardiola's biggest test of the season for sure. Um Big in the uh, narrative stakes, I think, with it being a home game as well, yet to get their first home win of the season. And Liverpool coming off the back of that 4 0 win over Arsenal. Like Chris said, if they can get a result at City, that'll really show them as contenders. But if City can beat them, it'll sort of suggest order is restored. And having seen what Liverpool did to Hoffenheim's three man defence, there's no way Guardiola's going to go with three men, is there, at the back? You never know that. Like, I don't think you can ever predict Pep Guardiola teams, can you? I, I mean, keep trying every week. I'm still, <laughs> still to get one right. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what's that start and how many times he changed the eleven last season. It was ridiculous amount, wasn't it? But I don't know whether he'll want the extra protection back there, whether he'll want the three defenders and Fernandinho sitting back there so that if they do lose the ball, there's at least four men back there. Um, play, certainly playing two would, you know... Has got its own risk, especially with the fullbacks going so forward. That's the thing with the three at the back, isn't it? You're essentially playing Mendy and Walker as wingers a lot of the time. So, well, they look uh, like wingers when he plays with four at the back as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the day. That's what I'm saying. That's the danger, isn't yeah. it? So, um, I think Brighton, for instance, they looked a bit with three centre backs and Fernandinho. It was a bit they didn't really need them because mm. Brighton were just sat in their own half, and uh, they were sort of twiddling their thumbs for a lot of it. But I think maybe it might be might be a smart. Might be a smart move on Saturday, but like you said, they, they have dismantled other teams with three, three at the back, so who knows? But I remember the was it the game on New Year's Eve last year yeah. when they lost 1 0 to Wijnaldum header that 
Klopp sort of reined his attacking instincts in, didn't he? And sort of made Liverpool really disciplined and just tried to pick City off. So you don't, I suppose we, you're not exactly sure how Liverpool are going to play. They've got attacking instincts, but maybe Klopp will think with the way City are playing at the minute, he might want to try and he might be a bit more defensive. Who knows? They're both going to try and outsmart each other, which adds That's even more. Do, isn't it, yeah, adds even more confusion to to what. But usually, the thing that you expect Pep will do, he does the opposite. So I think for that reason, I think three at the back, we could well see. So you're expecting him to do the opposite? Yes. Which means he's going to do the opposite of that, which is what you think he's going to well, do. Well, no, I'm trying to guess him for once <laughs> and uh, go three at the back. There's, there's going to be a lot of exciting attacking talent, no matter who they pick. Coutinho's going to come back into the equation, isn't he? Uh, having uh, suddenly re- regained his fitness after missing out on that move to Barcelona. Um, would, do you think Guardiola would dare drop Aguero for this? We know he left him out against Bournemouth no oh well I think he dared do it but I don't think he would I don't think he will do it um, I think it was significant that he was on the bench at Bournemouth but also he had played the full game against Everton when uh, Jesus got took off at half time I'm still not sure Aguero is number one I don't think they have a number one as such which is a relegation for Aguero but a I think you'd want him in your team against Liverpool. I mean, could you play two strikers against Liverpool? Though? We're talking about whether you'd play three defenders, but two strikers would be a big gamble, wouldn't it? Um, especially how strong they are in the middle of the park. So, But then that leaves... If he's going to play one, then he's got to decide, hasn't he? But I think... I know Jesus got the goal at Bournemouth, but Aguero looked good when he came on. And he, the Sterling winner he basically created by spinning the defender and opening it up in the 97th minute, and that's what you get with him, isn't it? He's... Got ice running through his veins and thinking a big game like that, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the sort of guy you want in your team. Are we at a point now where if City are playing with one man up front, then that is Gabriel Jesus. And Aguero's best chance of getting into that team is when he's going with two up front? I don't think so. He was very good second half of last season when Jesus was injured. Um, I don't think we've seen Jesus really play that well this season no. I can't remember a very good performance from Bournemouth him Bournemouth was the one wasn't it but that's why it was so surprising for me that Aguero was dropped against Bournemouth because of the two of them Aguero had the, be- the better start to the season I felt mm. yeah I think um, <clears throat> yeah it's, it's interesting how he's tried to use them together when he plays them together he does just play them as a almost an orthodox mm. sort of two up front doesn't he he's, he's not tried anything else like pushing one of them a bit wider which um I think when Jesus came on for his debut against Tottenham, he sort of was playing wide left and kept ghosting in from the from the left hand side and looked threatening that way. So I'm surprised he's never tried that playing him as one of the wide players. Well, he talks a lot about what he likes about <coughs> Jesus is the fact that he can play out wide or through the mm-hmm. centre, and yet he, most of the time he's playing him as an orthodox striker, isn't he? Really, if anything, you've maybe seen Aguero drop a little bit deeper or something like that. But when it comes to the orthodox striker, if it's one, it seems to be Jesus to me. Yeah, um, that game against Spurs, it, and Guardiola loves people getting in the boxes and uh, being more clinical than his his lot have been for a long time. But that game against Spurs, I know City were going for it. I seem to think Jesus must have been in the box like 10 times in the mm. last 10 minutes. So he didn't have a problem with that. But he does seem to be preferred centrally. And his goal at, at Bournemouth was very good. Just great vision from him to to spot the opportunity and when you've got David Silva 
putting the ball on a plate like that, it um, makes it look pretty simple. If you think about that performance as a whole from, from Jesus, he scores the goal, should have got the man sent off when he's, when he's run through on goal. He's just a nightmare to handle, isn't he? And maybe in more of a way than Aguero is. I think Aguero is just a lethal, lethal finisher. But would he, those two instances there, does Aguero score that goal? Does Aguero tear away from the defender in that way like Jesus does? Is that what he loves so much about him, do you think? Um, they, are slight, they are slightly different players, like you say. Um, but yeah, Jesus just seems to have that X factor at the moment, doesn't he? Mm. Where things happen when he's on and, you know... Um, is that because he's making it happen now? That, you well, know, I think running, so, yeah. He never stops running, does he? He's all over the place. <clears throat> no, no, and I think, he, like you say, he does just cause headaches for defenders. And I, I know Aguero does as well, but in slightly different ways. And it would be good if they could find a way to fit the two of them together. But, you know, it's how much experimenting do you do in a game <laughs> like like Liverpool and, and if you are going to experiment when do you do it but um, I'm I'm guessing City fans would love to find a way that you can work the two of them together because you know um, if you need a goal both of them could come up with a goal out of nothing and that's that's what that's what you need isn't it well, I think you touched on it at Bournemouth James though like the fact that Jesus was kicked to bits is that going to be a lot of the way a lot of teams try and stop such attacking power yeah, but I suppose that's what I like about him. Probably what Guardiola likes about him is he's also hard, isn't he? You know, he does get he does get kicked about the place. We've seen that already, and yeah, it will happen more this season, won't it? But it doesn't stop him, does it? He's still brave. He's constantly in there, and that's the, when managers talk about bravery. They don't talk about bravery necessary, as in, oh, he's uh, Vinnie Jones. It's more like he's got the bravery to keep taking those chances, keep knowing that when he runs at a big defender, he's going to get a boot up the backside, and he looks like he's that type of player to me. What's what's the one strange thing about him is when when he first came in, I was expecting proper Brazilian flair and him to be doing the sort of step overs, a bit like when Ronaldo mm. first came to United and we beat for City fans. When Rubinho came, you know, like getting it out wide, doing the step overs, trying to nutmeg people, dribble around them, tricks, flicks. I've not really had any of that. He's been no. a very orthodox footballer, you know. He's not considering Rubinho, he was, is considering he? he was brought up, you know, on the beaches of Brazil. That seems a, a little bit odd, really, but. Um, yeah, but perfect for the Premier League. You yeah. know, I think everyone's worried about him. Would he be too lightweight? Would he be too airy fair, if you want a better phrase for for the, for the toughness of the Premier League? And you're right; he seems to be able to just mix it with with whoever. Like there's some big defenders in back there, in some of those Premier League defenses, isn't there? And he just gets stuck in, and he's he's not fussed. And he's so young as well, because again, for a teenager, there'll be some pretty frightening sights in the Premier League. <laughs> and, and he arrived in winter as well, which is always Manchester. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like Sane came. And struggle yeah, to adapt yeah. and really. Uh, um, he came from, from Germany's where maybe the, it's more similar, let's say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking very in simplified terms, but probably you would expect a German to find it easier going to the Premier League than a, yeah. a Brazilian, wouldn't you? It, well, he was asked about it on international duty and he said, you know, actually I did find it quite hard coming over. And the key thing was he said, I know it may not have looked like it. But I did, and you know, you're right because no one could have guessed that it would be a bit of a struggle for him to come over to such a new climate and environment as a young kid. Um, I think Eric Dyer put it right when he said, like, people see us as like middle of our career in 25, but we're still very young lads, really. Um, so maturity <coughs> beyond his years. I think he's, he's properly put effort into settling in as well, hasn't he? Mm. Jesus, he, you know, he's brought his whole. His mum over his old yeah. entourage, and um, it was a post of a day of his of his all his entourage at English classes in in Manchester City Centre. You know, so he seems to have 
decided he wanted to come here and he's going to throw everything at it off the pitch as well as on it, which is it's good to see. We've not had the moaning about the weather that we've mm-hmm. had from so many, you know, South American and or Mediterranean players in the past. Um, you know, he always seems to be out and about in the city when you see him when he's Snapchat and his Instagram and all that. He doesn't seem to be just holed up in his gated mansion in Cheshire or whatever. I was going to say, I think he seems I'm, to be getting out and about. I bet you've seen him more in Manchester in the space of six months than you've ever seen Aguero in the middle of Manchester. I suppose it's different, different, you know, sort of <clears throat> different setups of different players. Really, if that's what works for Aguero, fair enough. He seems to have stayed a long time. He seems happy enough, yeah. doesn't he? But yeah, I know what you mean. Pep's definitely done that, hasn't he? Pep got a city centre apartment and is trying to immerse himself in the in the, in the in city life. And uh, seems like he's trying to bring in players to do that as well because Gundogan's moved into the city centre, Sane's moved into it. Seems like he want that's what he wants from his players, isn't it? If you're going to come here, you know, embrace embrace the culture of the place. Yeah, and he is big on the connection with the fans, isn't he? Mm. As well, you know, I know he mentions the, the atmosphere and fans a lot in his interviews. So um, at Barcelona, he had a massive connection with the people. In, I saw it the other week. He went to a Catalonian independence rally, you know, in, uh, and he's, he's still got that connection with the Barca yeah. fans now, you know. So I think hopefully by the end of his city tenure, he'll have that connection with the city fans as well. And there, was, there were the pictures of him when he was at Bayern, weren't there, where he's wearing the Leda hose, and I've not seen him in like a Mac or anything to, for. Yeah, the, uh, the bucket hat for the Manchester. <laughs> yeah. The Pellegrini hoodie. <laughs> what for one FA Cup game is my all-time favourite manager outfit. Yeah, it does like he's Stone Island though. Doesn't it does, it, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Well, let's. Uh, we also had uh, the Champions League draw, and that kicks in next next week. I'll be in in Rotterdam for for the final game. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you looked at that group when it came out, as a City fan, I'm asking here, did that excite you? Or was there like relief? Oh, thank God we haven't got another group of death. Or are you thinking, Isn't I, I liked it when we were getting Bayern or I liked it when we were getting Real? Um, I think they've got to be happy with the group. Getting shacked out as your top seed, I think you can't not be happy with that. Um, I think Napoli were the one that, that got thrown in there that, was a bit of a curveball that everyone was slightly wary of because they did they played very well against City in the I know it was a few years ago now but they were they were excellent at the Etihad and they completely outplayed City at the away game as well so so they were a bit of a, a spanner in the works but and I think fans will be glad to avoid a big team but then also wary of these other teams you know I know it, we can try all the old cliches there's no easy games in Europe and stuff but just because just they're not a major name doesn't mean they couldn't be a, a real banana skin you know so I think City have got to be really careful, especially you know away in Rotterdam and Naples too. They're going to, and obviously in Ukraine as well. They're going to be very hostile atmospheres, so they're going to have to show a lot of character to get points out there. But I think all in all, they'll be really pleased with the draw. Yeah. Are you going to head out for any of them? Um, sadly, not. No, no. We're not all looking like you, James. But um, it, in terms of fans, it's um, it wasn't the greatest draw for fans, was it? Like I said, Rotterdam and Naples, renowned as you know, very hostile places to go. <laughs> And um, Donetsk is in the middle of a war zone. I know they're playing elsewhere at the moment. So um, In December as well, that's pretty cold. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think City fans will be open in the next uh, round of the draw that they, um, they, know they can get a nice uh, nice sunny sunny away game. Somewhere like the south of France, maybe. Monaco. Exactly. That worked out so well last time. Well, we've got no players left now. That'll <laughs> no, do. That does help. <laughs> we've taken them all. <laughs> so he's gonna, Guardiola's going to be ultimately defined by... By what what he does, what he's done in the Champions League, and he's he's done it with one club with Barcelona. He's not managed to do it with two like like Mourinho and uh, and Ancelotti. 
Is he going to turn City into Champions League winners? Not necessarily this season. Well, I think once you get to sort of the last eight, last last eight, it, anyone can beat anyone on the day. I think City are in that bracket now that they've got the squad to beat uh, the top teams. They, I know you can't take anything from pre-season, but it was they looked pretty good against Real Madrid, who have taken all comers and beaten uh, Barcelona in the Super Cup fairly easily. So. City just need to get into that position where they're comfortably top eight, top four every year, challenging, and there's a chance that they could make the final, and you never know. Um, I think they have the team to, to do it now. Have they ever had a strong a squad for the Champions League? It's, I suppose we're going to find that out, aren't we? I, yeah, you look at, I, I think I would look at the defence, that would worry me. That would worry me. That yeah. centre of defence and the best teams, like Real Madrid, they don't take any prisons, do they? And you look at that defence. If if Everton are looking at the City defence and saying, give it to Otamendi, we're going to be fine. Everton, what are Real Madrid going to do against it? That would be... I can't believe he didn't strengthen the centre of defence. I've got to say. And like, like you're saying, Chris, I, I think a centre-back was more important than a, than, a, than a striker. The weird thing about the Champions League is though it's it's kind of like the European FA Cup rather than the yeah. European Premier League, and yeah. you kind of just need the draw to go your way, and th- you know, and you can suddenly find yourself in this in a semi-final, having sort of just stumbled your way through. Really, like best two examples, I think Liverpool in two thousand and five. I mean, nobody would have objectively said they were the best team in Europe in two thousand and five. I think they finished fifth in the Premiership, and when Chelsea won it in twenty twelve, I think City were miles probably a miles better team than Chelsea in twenty twelve. Won the league, beat them in the charity shield that year. But Chelsea just they managed to stumble away through to the latter stages, and then a couple of good performances, especially away in the new camp. Yeah, you know, Bayern hammered him as well in the final. Yeah, you see, I, I get the the whole analogy. It's a cup comp, all this sort of stuff. But the fact is, Real Madrid win it every year, or well, virtually. Well, that, that's <laughs> the worry that we're getting back to that stage now. Because uh, Real Madrid are obviously far and away the best team in Europe at the moment. And, and if not Real, Barca. You know, it's still only one. And more recently as well, this is now becoming a thing. It's pretty much, it's almost those two, isn't it? Who well, just win it. It's like Chris said, you know, all it takes is a Simeone-inspired Atletico and Real are out. Or, you know, well, Juventus. Not, are they? That's like the thing. That. They're not. Well, they haven't been in the last two years. We've but... seen Simeone inspired Atleticos <laughs> and Real keep winning. <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah, I get that. But the occasions you're bringing up, and, and yes, it is a cup competition. And with a good run, anything can happen. City got to the semi final, and uh, you wouldn't say, you'd probably say this looks like a stronger squad than that. But it, I think we're talking about freaks when you talk about Liverpool in 2005 and, mm. and Chelsea. I think it does actually go with. Form, and certainly it's seeming more like that. You know, Bayern Munich, Guardiola's Bayern Munich, Ancelotti's Bayern Munich are brilliant, and they can't win it, can they? No, but they're a mile off of Real Madrid. City should could be semi-finals this year, would you say? Again, that's it's a case of a run, isn't it? You've yeah. got, you've it depends got, you, on you getting get, those knockout stages, because yeah. but you're not going to get that team in the final. For some reason, I know it's very unlikely, but you could Real Madrid could finish second in their group, maybe just. You know, take the foot off the gas, be concentrating on La Liga, finish second in their group, and then or City finish second in, or City finish second in their group, and then you draw Real Madrid. I mean, at the end of the day, it's how the balls come out, isn't it? I think on you can on get look, a run, but when you sooner or later, you have got to show you're going to get them. Yeah. 
you can get a run. City got a run to it, it opened up for City unbelievably when he got to the semi final in the yeah. Pellegrini, didn't it? Yeah. And all of a sudden you are thinking, oh, they can get to the final, they could do this. But then you got you draw Real Madrid. Ironically, they might never get. Well, hopefully they will get a better chance than that. But that it was such a great chance, and it's just a shame for City that they were, that's the weakest they've been in years, isn't it? That. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. I mean, I'm not sure we'll know because I don't think Real got out of second gear, but they looked very beatable yeah. in second gear. Were, were a team to give it a go. I just, I don't see anyone in this country being anywhere near Real Madrid, even close. No. I think if as soon as it's like Bayern gave him a bit of a fright, didn't they? And then Real thought, forget this, we'll smash him. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what they do. They are just. They are a class apart. I think Barcelona, probably with the history as well and everything, mm. but I don't think this Barcelona team is anywhere near what Real Madrid are. But they're the sort that you'd say maybe they could do it. But it's just what Real have done to Bayern in recent seasons. They have just destroyed them. And that is a brilliant, brilliant Bayern team, whether it was with Pep or with Ancelotti. And Real just destroyed them as soon as they felt like it, haven't they? But we, despite that, the odds are against <laughs> them. But in England, we do have... The coaches, you would say, your uh, your Peps and your Joses would back themselves in one-off ninety minutes against any team. I think. I'm going to say something controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I think the age of the coach is gone. I think it's the the age of the of the owner of the of the chairman. And I think that's what Real Madrid have proven with because I don't believe that Zinedine Zidane is. It's all been kept very quiet, very quiet, and all of a sudden we realise he's the greatest manager of all time. I don't think that's, that's it at all. I think he's got an incredible, incredible squad that he's letting play. And they're just, they've just got better players than everybody else. I think managing one of those super clubs is a lot different to managing. You know, when people yeah. always say, could Sean Dyche manage City? Or it, it, I think it's just a different job. It's yeah. light years away, you know. Like, um, managing one of those super clubs has demands that managing other clubs just don't have so and certain people have got that gravitas and that power the likes of Zidane Pep you know who can manage a powder keg of a club like that you know Barcelona Real Madrid where you're one bad result away from 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 absolute crisis you know I think Ancelotti is the perfect example isn't he that he can come in and he can just he makes the place a happy place doesn't he and get the best out of those amazing players now I don't I don't know whether Ancelotti would keep Burnley in the Premier League. Who knows? We're never going to have to find out, are we? But if you look, like for instance, when he won Champions Leagues with um, with with AC Milan, they looked like a team that was over the hill, didn't they? But the common denominator there was that, that was they were class players, even if they were old. And you've got a manager who can just bring that together. Did it with Chelsea when they won the the double in his first season, didn't they? I just I I wonder. We're going to see, aren't we? But Guardiola is a super coach who, at Bayern Munich, had a super team, is a super club, and they still got smashed by Real Madrid, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, it's one of many battles that Guardiola's fighting, isn't it? Possession against counter-attack. He's still, still banging the possession drum, and we'll see if it can have success against the uh, the norm now, which is to uh, to give teams the ball. And going back to your idea, we've got these great coaches in this country, which I think we have, you know, we've got some of the biggest names. Again, the common denominator is they've all wanted loads and loads of money to bring in the best players, haven't they? You know, Guardiola spent 200 million, Mourinho spent close to 200 million, Ancelotti's spitting his dummy out because he couldn't spend 200 million or whatever yeah, it is, you know. But, but that's, that's like you said about like managers not being fit for every club. 
you know, Guardiola has had exceptional players to work with at Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Could he do it at Wigan in League One? Could he coach those players really well? I don't know. He'd Maybe. probably make them better players, wouldn't he? But, yeah, it, but, but it wouldn't turn them into... You know, I think there was um, Tony Adams went down to a League Two club or something and took a training session and said, you know, I've no idea how to improve this player because there's so many things he's doing <laughs> wrong. You know, there's such a difference between the uh, the different levels of English football and European mm. football that some managers are, are cut out for that top level and they want that top level of player to be working with. See, that's aimed at... Pep in particular, isn't it? Saying, "Oh, we thought he developed players, but he's just a checkbook manager." But I think spending two hundred million is just the not. You know, yeah, you need yeah. to do that as a as a base rather than as as a, any sort of you know grand splashing out to to try and win win trophies. I think if you're an elite club and you're not you know freshening up your squad each year, then um, you're in trouble. And I'm the greatest one in the world. City don't bring in Pep Guardiola to say, "Right, I'm going to keep cliche." Kolarov, Zabaleta, Sanya, and, and improve them, and I'm just going to throw in a load of the, the youth players. You bring no. him in to attract these great players, don't you, as well, and also make a great team. Now, maybe if you've got 30 years of him, you could say, right, we're going to start, you're going to just bring through all those academy players, but it's not the case, is it? They, so, they, they might not have had to spend £200 million this summer if they'd spent more than a penny on fullbacks in the last 30 yeah. years as well. And he is bringing in young players, isn't he? I know they've kept that spine, most of that, the spine that are still performing at the top level, company, Aguero, um, th- those kind of guys. But the the younger players, Jesus, you know, you could Jesus, De Bruyne, Sterling, Sane, Bernardo Silva's quite young, isn't he? So we, we're getting. You can a, see what he's doing, can't he? There's a team there that he's building for the future, and who knows? Maybe he won't be the one to make them Champions League winners. Maybe someone else is going to get that benefit of what what he's put in place. Exactly. It might, might, it might be that way, but I think a lot of these players that we're spending fifty, sixty million pounds on now, they will, you know, hopefully they'll be with the club for seven, eight years. You know, they won't just be discarded next year. Though we might be back in, back in here next year, <laughs> saying where did it all go wrong for X, Y, or Z? But hopefully not. This does feel to me like the next great drive, as in we've seen the Aguero, Torre, Silver company drive, haven't we? This is. This feels like the next great one. You you do look at someone like like De Bruyne, don't you? And and Gabriel Jesus and John Stones, even if he's, uh, he's he's still to fully convince. You look at those as in five years' time, you'll be saying that's the the core that created this 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 latest successful team. And it'll be, probably be called the the Guardiola drive. Yeah. Really, everything's been put in place that he has wanted, and it's all set up to uh, to go on, as you say, beyond the time when. He's no longer manager at the club. I think his his legacy will be quite sustained. And whether they win the Champions League or not this season, they have to, he has to improve, doesn't he? I, for me, perhaps more than anything, the Champions League last year was the the great disappointment for me from him because to go from semi finals, when when he's appointed and they're in the semi finals of the Champions League, there's no way anyone at that club and himself included who'd never been uh, any, any, never done any worse than getting to a semi-final. There's no way they're thinking we're going to be out in the second round to Monaco. No, but I think it leads back to what we were saying before about not taking teams lightly. You know, I think a lot of City fans were celebrating when they drew mm. Monaco last year. And you look what's happened to their team since that every player seems to have gone to another elite club. They were, you know, they yeah. were they were a tough ask and they, they did okay over the two legs, but they should have, you know, 
being 5-3 up in the first leg and just needing, uh, you know, they were even able to, if they'd have lost 2-1, they'd have gone mm. through, you know, so um, they properly let that slip. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll, they'll rue that. I think Monaco drew Dortmund in the quarterfinals. I know yeah. the draws aren't always linear like that, but they drew Dortmund in the quarterfinals, which, you know... It would have opened up again, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would have been a the... lot, you know, yeah. a much more winnable game than Monaco, ironically, so... And then even Juve in the semi. Yeah. Juventus, very good team, but City would have gone into it thinking they had a chance, and now we'd be talking about them as a team that have made the last four two years in a row with a coach that has never not made the last four. So is that the area, we agree, where... He... He probably most needs to improve, or are you, are you thinking in the Premier League? I think he needs to win the title, to be honest. Mm. I think, uh, particularly if Jose wins it for United and he doesn't, I well, think. We can't both win it. Well, but, but what I'm saying is, it, if Chelsea win it again or something, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm saying, yeah. if, 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 if Jose wins the title at United ahead of him, that's, that's not going to be. Uh, that's not going to be a good look at his end of season like you've review. Got the, the already. <laughs> <laughs> you're already preparing for this. No, I think. I think the Premier League will be the priority. I think I know. I know what you're saying about yeah. the Champions League, and it's always said, isn't it, that um, it's what matters to shape Manso and Calder and the board more than anything, really. And, but I just think, like you said, I think asking asking them to win the Champions League is a big, big ask, especially how Real Madrid are looking at the minute. I think asking them to get to the last stages of the Champions League is a realistic ambition. But I think winning the Premier League is a, is, a, is is a must, really. Well, it's going to be. Maybe the first pivotal week of what is going to be a, a very interesting season, let's say. Liverpool at the weekend, Feyenoord next week, the start of the Champions League. We'll be back next week to look at all of that. Well, thanks Chris and Sai for joining me today. We'll be back next week when we'll be reviewing the games against Liverpool and Feyenoord. And let's hope it's a successful week for Pep. We've got a brilliant craft beer offer for Manchester's Red listeners. We've teamed up with Beer52.com who have a great new way to discover the best small breweries from home and abroad. By joining their beer club, you can get an expert selected case of different styles delivered to your home every month. And just for listeners of Manchester is Red, we've managed to secure an amazing deal, a case of eight mystery beers for free. It's normally £24 a case, but all you'll need to pay this time is £5.95 for postage. Just use the code MANU, that's M-A-N-U, all one word, at beer52.com to get stuck in.